I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here today. Boy, there is a lot going on. Summer just came like, it was dark all day, every day, and you heard me crying about it on Instagram, and now, glory. Glory, glorious sunshine. Some exciting stuff happening. Make sure you head over to globaljanes.org to check out the details for the Patient Advocacy Summit coming up in September in San Diego, September 12th through the 14th. Also, new episode of Once Upon a Gene TV landing on the Disorder channel. You can download it with a Roku or an Amazon Fire. Our newest guest is Ryan Sheedy, dadvocate extraordinaire, who's created the My Mejo app. You have to tune into it to get all the details, but basically it's the app that you are like, why doesn't someone invent it? I need to keep all of my kids healthy information and therapist's information and medication information all in one place while also letting their personality come out too. There's parts in there that you can show the PDF to the doctor ahead of time that says, hey, you know what? Ford really likes a high five before a medical procedure and it really calms him down. And the doctors just do that. So cool thing. Go check it out. MyMijo.com and the Disorder Channel, obviously the one and only. So today, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest. She is such a beautiful angel and a bright light. She's a lawyer. She's a caregiver. She's a mom in the Middle East. And today we're talking about what it's like to be a parent to a kiddo with a rare disease in a place where that's not super accepted and what kind of battles she's been through to normalize it as much as she can and advocate for her child and her life, you're going to love her, okay? Like, after I was done talking to her, I just felt her. She's amazing, and I think you're going to like our conversation. It's real. It's off the cuff. It's authentic. She talks about her mental health struggles after her child was born and what she went through to kind of snap back and realize, like, hey, this is my life. My child is beautiful, and I'm going to make this place better than I found it. And that's what she's doing. You're going to love her. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at the Caregiver Lawyer, and uh, please let me know what you think about this episode. Enjoy my conversation with Yoser Hamza. Hi, Yoser. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm super excited for that. Yes, I'm so glad to have you on here. We've been following each other on social media for a while, and you have a really just unique perspective and you're a boss lady and I'm really excited to get to know you a little better and share your story here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I was just sharing like I'm overwhelmed to be there and hopefully I would be able to share my story. So help others who have, would have gone through the same journey. Yeah. 
Well, there's lots to unpack. So let's talk about a little bit of your background. You're an, you're an attorney, you live in the Middle East, and you have a three-year-old rare kiddo. Yeah, it's a lot to comprehend, right? So yeah, I have all those diversity hats, and then I'm also a rare kid mom now. So one more to wear, um, funny enough. But yeah, I'm a, a lawyer by practice. So um, I've been practicing law for the past 11 years. I work in a tech company, manage the Middle East region, based in Dubai, and far, far away in the other part of the world, come from a very diverse family. So I probably have a cousin in every continent by now. I navigate a career in a way that's very male dominated still in our region. So I'm kind of pioneering, navigating my own way there. Definitely have got rejected in a lot of jobs just because of my gender, my faith, all of those stuff. But now I'm also a rare disease parent kind of trying to share my story out there, unlike what I've been always told, in an attempt to break the stigma around both being a woman working mom, but also being a rare disease working mom and a caregiver and kind of changing the narrative that it's not either or, it can be both. It's really about how you navigate that story for yourself and for your kids, but also for other moms who would likely go through the same journey at some point that they can have someone to look at and say like, well, yeah, we can navigate that too and not have to feel overwhelmed to the extent that, you know, by the society pressure. Mm. I love what you said there um, because it's something I wholeheartedly agree with in the matter of the stories that we tell, right? Like being the narrator of our own stories and sharing our stories to not just work through them, but to kind of change our mindset on them also and maybe you know, understand a different ending. Absolutely. I mean, hearing other people's stories on the podcast helped me understand my own story in a different narrative. I remember when my first, so I have this very interesting story. I got pregnant where my sister was diagnosed with cancer and it was such a devastating news back then. I took me a while to even know I'm pregnant. And then, well, I'm pregnant. That's the first grandchild that's awesome. Everyone in the family waiting for, you know, for their first grandchild, exciting news. And then I gave birth and suddenly, and you know, when my kid was a couple weeks old, we got to know he has this rare disease called lysencephaly, which means that he has a smooth brain. That was devastating in its own, right? And having my sister going through her own journey with my, the family, and now I don't even have the support system of my family and having to navigate my own journey, I definitely was overwhelmed, broke down, went through my own journey of depression. But listening to other people, Um, on the podcast, on other podcasts, to understand that it's not really what other tells me. It's not about what the doctor tells me about, like, you know, it's that bad. It's not about what he can't do. It's all about what the other things that he can do and looking at those things and seeing it from my own perspective. So it's true. My kid can't do, can't walk. He can't talk, but he can smile. He definitely had a footprint on every person's life that he have met just through his own smile, just by being kind to every person he meets. I've seen the beauty of not just diversity, but the the kind of unconditional acceptance that my kid has to anyone he meets just because they're being kind to him. So beautiful to the extent that I'm trying to do the same to the world. I'm even being kind to myself and accepting in so many ways that I wouldn't have 
gone or been there if it wasn't just going through the journey with my kids. So I'm definitely very thankful for other parents sharing their own stories on the podcast and everywhere else, even writing about it to help people like me, um, right? To understand that it's not just all that bad, but being the narrative of your own story. Don't let anyone to tell you what your kid can and can't do. And don't let them define how his life or her life will look like. It's really about you as a mom knowing your kid very well and knowing exactly how he needs and what he needs and what your own life should look like at the end of the day and surrounding yourself by what you actually need instead of what people really telling you about that. And I still struggle with that because society still has its own stigma, but you just have to fight it out and embrace this journey with what it brings. Mm. Oh my gosh. I have a big smile on my face. I so agree with you. And I love what you said about unconditional acceptance. I think that's a really good way to kind of frame it. But yeah, it is. It's important in the beginning to kind of feel all those feels and really just allow yourself to kind of fall down a little bit, but to also find all those bright spots, right? And to to do all the things that you just said to maximize the joy that's that is here and the possibilities that you never really saw before and have your eyes opened to this different life that you didn't obviously expect but to find so much power in it to propel you forward in whatever other way it is right whether it makes you better at your job or just as a human being or as a better mom it really makes you think and be more curious about it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've went through the journey and it's a journey you have to go through this entire feelings of devastation, of anger, of frustration, of why this happened. I don't have a history in the family and why it's so rare to the extent like no doctor even knows what the diagnosis is. And probably the only thing that they have gone through is reading about it in their books. And I've seen doctors in front of me literally Googling the diagnosis while I'm with them because they have no idea what what that is. It, It was like, I think I became my own kid's doctor, but going from the frustration to embracing that with everything that it brings. So it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel frustrated. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't feel it because it's it's normal. And if someone tells me you're so strong, it, I'm not strong. I'm just a normal human being who will feel all of that. But the difference is I just don't let it control me. It's okay to feel sad that my kid doesn't do a lot of things. I mean, I just have to grieve that. But I think I give it a space without letting this control the entire narrative of the story and just having to look at the other side of it, especially when you're listening to other people telling you about that. I mean, I come from a society that judge has its own prejudgments already about everything. So that's one more thing that I'm being prejudged about. So I'd rather give them a good reason to prejudge me rather than um, waiting for them to tell me what exactly that is. (laughs) I do actually kind of want to tap into that part a little bit. You know, you're a female in a male dominated world in the Middle East doing what you're doing. And then you bring this beautiful child into the world with severe disabilities and a rare disease. And you're also in a place that doesn't necessarily accept kids like that and their differences as much as maybe other societies do. So how have you navigated through that? And how have you found this powerful voice of yours to embrace your child so easily and so quickly at three years old when you're kind of surrounded by all of that noise and, I don't know, the fear that people have about what they think your life is even like? (laughs) It's funny. It took me an entire year to even share with my manager that 
my kid has a disability. I think for an entire year, it was a secret. I did not share that outside my family. I, I think I was my own judge. I thought that having a disability is such a scary thing to the extent that I was so, so scared of everyone judging me also on my capabilities of working, my capabilities of managing a lot of things. So I never shared that. And it took me an entire year to tell to my manager and share with others, like, I have this extra thing on my plate and it's okay. I do agree that COVID helped a little bit in me sharing that out because my kid was diagnosed in 2019. That was literally six months before the lockdown started. Then the lockdown started. Everyone was working remotely from home. So in a way, I I wouldn't say equal, but I was in a, such a place where it's comfortable to say like, I'm with my kid. I can't just be on the camera or it's okay. Like I can't make this call. Can we make it later for instance? But the fact is I had to embrace it on my own first before I say to the world, like I have this thing and I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed. In fact, it makes me, I wouldn't say stronger, but it makes you who I am. It's part of who I am and I can't hide from that. And if you can't embrace it, that's on them, not on me. That's their own journey of acceptance. If they don't go there, I'm sorry that they didn't, but I just have to be there for myself. I have to be there for my kid. And if I can't, then that's, that's on me. If people can't accept my kid, that that's on them. Um, if someone judge me for that journey, I'm sorry that they are, if they no longer want to be a part of my journey, which I have a lot of people no longer talking to me just because they knew my kid is having a disability. Um, it used to bother me at the beginning, but it no longer does, to be honest. I mean, um, that's shame on them. I'm, I'm proud of it and I wouldn't hide it. And yeah, but the fact is my kid's journey showed me a lot of things that I don't think I would have gone through if it wasn't for my kid. It's really about my capabilities, being who I am. I wouldn't have been embracing my own diversity at work and my own authentic self if I haven't gone through my kid and his journey and the, the kind of disability and even seeing what he goes through and even embracing other people's diversity. I am someone who is guilty of being ignorant of what people with disabilities go through until I had to go through my kid's journey of wheelchairs, of pushchairs, of how difficult it can be to go onto the road. I mean, in the Middle East is still not every country. I can't, I'm lucky to live in a country where at least there are the facilities that I can move with a wheelchair outside home. But if you go to other countries in the Middle East, it's not the same. I do have friends who the roads are not paved to be able to take your kid out. The Buildings are not designed for someone who is on a wheelchair. So technically, if they want to go up to their apartment, they literally have to take their kid out of their, out of their pushchair and just hold them. And that's horrible. I mean, at the end of the day, they're human beings. But going to the fact, again, it's all about embracing yourself first, embracing your journey before you're even able to share it with the world. Now, I think this entire journey allowed me to create the diversity council within our legal team globally to see how we can embrace other people's diversities. I'm being able to share my journey with other parents who, so we can help each other. And I'm trying to see like, if I can't change my own kid's journey, if my kid is destined 
to be in a, on a certain place and that's fine. I am trying to mentor and help other female law students in a way that if I struggled at the beginning of my career and probably am still am, they don't have to. I mean, I can make their journey shorter, quicker, easier. I can be there for them. Why not? At least I can give back to the community in what I'm good at. And I'm trying to look at it from that perspective. And that helped me embrace my journey even more by giving back to of what I can. Um, even if it's virtual. Mm, oh my gosh, there's so much magic in everything that you just said. The last part, especially, right? Like being of service in some way and using what you've learned to help someone else. It only makes everyone rise and it makes life so much more meaningful when you get to contribute in that way. It seems like you've went into a lot of areas. Can you tell me a little bit about the diversity panel that you did at work? So that's a diversity council created So I am part of an IT multinational that is US-based. So that is where we all come from different regions. We all work in different countries. But at the end of the day, we need to have metrics to understand the diversity of our global team, of how we work with our suppliers and vendors outside. Do they hire, you know, are they even diverse enough? How are we getting our employees engaged to ensure that they are engaging within our diversity initiatives, but also how are we hiring diverse employees and how we are promoting and advancing the careers of diverse employees? How can we also serve the community through internships to underrepresented students to ensure that they get the opportunity of being with a company like ours? They wouldn't have gotten to that if it's just regular applications. So it's all of those initiatives that we're trying to run to help underrepresented you know, candidates internally, but also externally with initiatives that we can run as a, you know, as a multinational. I think I'm, we are in a position to influence decisions, both internally in terms of policies, whether it's benefits provided to employees, we are in a position to also influence stuff outside by hiring or engaging or supporting underrepresented students from backgrounds in general to ensure that they get the equitable opportunity that they wouldn't have had um, if it wasn't to those initiatives. And it's part of giving back. At the end of the day, I'm lucky to be in a position where I work in a multinational. Some other people's won't. And I'm lucky to work in a company that embraced my diversity, didn't judge me for my faith, for my gender, and not even for my age. They took me because I'm capable of what I can do. And if I was lucky to be in that position, I shouldn't be sharing that, you know, it's, it's a table and I shouldn't be taking my dinner on my own. I can share that table with others, whether it's internal by mentoring other associates and we do have our own programs through that diversity council or by mentoring students and sharing the opportunities outside externally. And it's just a recent council. So it's something that we recently created this year in an attempt to give back and make sure that we use our positions for the greater good. Dang. (laughs) Yo, sorry, you're just a little busy, just a little bit. That's amazing. I love that. I do want to go back to the time when you were pregnant, when you found out your sister was sick and you were learning about your new baby coming into the world and you were just depressed, right? You went into a depression. You said that it only took you 
one year to really embrace what you were going through, which I think is light years, especially with all of the stuff that you were going through. What tools did you use and what resources did you find to help you kind of dig yourself out of that? And what advice would you give to to any parents listening right now that are kind of in the thick of it and feel like there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel? I'll say it's a three years, but they feel like 30. Um, they're... <laughs> They, they don't feel like three years by any means. I can't believe, I, I still question myself if I'm able to do this on a long-term, to be honest. I can't claim I'm strong. I, I do have my own down times. But one thing I've learned throughout that journey is really feel every feeling. I no longer fight um, back my sadness feeling. I no longer fight back when I'm down. I no longer fight back when I can do it. I just tell my husband, I just can't. I am I'm not feeling well and that's an FYI. And it can take a day or two, but at least I recognize that. And that's as important as being there for your kid. Because when you recognize that you'll put conscious effort to rise up. You'll put conscious effort to be kind to yourself. You'll put conscious effort to Take care of yourself because when you take care of yourself, you'll be able to take care of your kid. And I think that's as important. We during the process we miss the fact our time is so precious and it's very limited that sometimes we forget during the process to take a break and take care of ourselves. We no longer have the luxury of the long me time, as we call it. But I think I do put, so that's maybe one thing as well I do. So one thing, feel every feeling. My second tip would be take a me time. Take a time for yourself away from your kid, away from your husband, away from everything. Even if it's 15 to 30 minutes drinking a cup of coffee outside your home and just going back in, that's important because you need it. Taking care of yourself equals taking care of your kid. If you're not okay, you can't take care of the rest. My third tip, and I think I learned that the hard way, I wasn't someone who delegates. I I fail miserably at delegation, but I learned it the hard way that I just need to delegate. And (laughs) it takes a smart, know around you who's willing to support, be prepared with a list of what you're willing to, you know, to delegate. And be smart on playing on everyone's strength. If someone is good at time management, give them the, you know, delegates, dele- delegate them some helping you with scheduling your time. If someone is good at socializing, keep them with your kid while you're doing something else. So play on their strength. If someone is, you know, likes driving, let's say my, my brother, he enjoys being in the car all the time. So I just give him some errands to buy me stuff. Why not? But it's okay to delegate. And it's important if you have friends, family around, even if it's your husband, kids, it's sometimes important to delegate. Otherwise, you'll crush and crack down. And I've gone through that. And I regret that, you know, I've never learned it. My mom uh, struggles with, with delegating. She never taught me that. I wish she did. But I am telling her that it it's important. And I, I try to do that. And I embrace whatever I delegate with what they bring. I Whatever they bring, I'm okay with that. I, I don't mind. One other thing I've, I kept an open mind. I think that was as important. I didn't decide in advance at all what my journey should look like. 
And I think that was very hard on me. I am someone who was very career oriented. I used to be on top of my class. I had a plan for myself. I had a plan. And then, then this entire plan is no longer there. I don't even know what my next day would look like anymore because of my kid's condition. It's really very different. And I, what I learned throughout the process is I no longer have to win. I just want to remain in the race. And that's okay. I, I just really want to be there. I don't want to win it anymore. And I just have to embrace that with all the heartbreaks and all the devastation it brings. I'm just recalling like it us. <laughs> There's like one, one thing as well is being kind to yourself as much as being kind to others. Sometimes it's just it's important to be kind to yourself, to remember that it's okay not to be okay. I mean, one thing is also embracing the embracing a lot of the resources. I went through therapy. I went through journaling therapy. And that taught me to be authentic to myself. I mean, I've rewired my thinking to bring it more to my, to my life. I no longer pretend to who I should be. Um, I am being who I am. I am openly, I'm open about the fact that I'm a caregiver. It wasn't an easy step, but I like to think it's one of the best things that I've done. I'm a lawyer, I'm a caregiver, and both capacities intertwine at the end of the day. There is so much power in sharing it with pride than hiding and hiding it. I mean, I, I shouldn't be ashamed. I shouldn't be told to be ashamed. And connecting with my peers now at work on being humans than just colleagues is a game changer. I've definitely noticed a lot of opportunities fading, um, right? But there has been opportunities that came through that actually suit my current life and my lifestyle at the moment. I've created, like I said, the DNI Council. That wouldn't be something I would have focused on so much if it wasn't to this journey. I've created a, an entire mentorship program with my counsel to students, something I enjoy a lot. I've been doing outside work, but now being able to bring it to work as well is great. I no longer really like, you know, go out anymore with a friend that I don't enjoy being into. Again, it's all about like being authentic to yourself and choosing how you want to spend your time. That is something you learn about your journey in general. I mean, we talked about shifting our mindset. I mean, it's really owning our narrative. That's again, like don't don't let the world tell you how your journey um, should look like. When my kid was first diagnosed, it was during, you know, it was the lockdown and I had to face society that has its own pre-expectations about special needs. I don't have the, the, the facilities. I literally got my entire equipment from the U.S., by the way. And a lot of the parents in the U.S. guided me throughout the process on what equipment I should get, how I should get discounts, where I should get it from, what sort of chairs are, you know, cheap, which ones are with better quality. But I didn't let society define exactly how my journey would look like. And an entire year in that diagnosis, I did definitely went through trials and errors. But at the end of the day, I, I do have, I did enjoy a lot of endeavors and I have a lot of friends outside. And I started sharing my journey on Instagram and social media with pride. But the fact is, like I said, it's trials and errors. Mixed don't be very harsh on yourself when you're doing mistakes. You'll get to learn at the, during that journey that no kid 
with the same diagnosis will probably have the same journey. Our kids are so different. Our kids will reach different milestones. Even if with the same diagnosis, they will be different. So trial and error, but don't, don't be harsh to yourself because mistakes are fixable opportunities. I am a recovering perfectionist. It took me a while to be okay with that, but I picked my battles. I took risks until I, I understood how my journey would look like, and I'm still taking risks. But there are situations where I learned and tried to understand my journey even more so I don't end up repeating the same mistakes again. I mean, one thing I've learned and what we're doing now is knowledge is power and sharing it is even more powerful. So sharing it now is, yeah, I learned that I'm sharing my knowledge, I guess. Everything you just said for the last few minutes, I think if anyone ever calls you strong again because you're just a, a caregiver, it's it's all of that. It's all of that wisdom that you gained in those three years that were so hard for you to get through and the clarity that you got and the action that you took from it, that's why you're strong. And I think everything you said is such an amazing reminder to even me. Like, man, I have had such a tough couple last few weeks. And this is like stuff that this is my language, right? Like this is the language that I speak and I needed that reminder. So thank you. You're super awesome. I wish you didn't live in the Middle East. Everyone I love just moves. They live so far away. <laughs> well, but I think one thing I've learned is like there are a lot of virtual friendships that I created throughout the process. And I'm so thankful for people like you, people like everyone around the globe. I think during the pandemic, it's like it's such a small world with everything that happens. You feel that everyone is still so close at the end of the day. And hopefully I'll be in the US very soon to actually get to meet you in person. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, I agree. I love I love how small it made the world. And I love how emotionally invested our community is in each other um, and our stories and just really being empathetic from afar and seeing yourself in other people's lives and being able to kind of send out that energy to them. I think there's so much power in everyone sharing their stories. I mean, I blabber on about that a lot, but I really, I know it to be true. And I'm just thankful that there's so many awesome, strong parents like you. And I want to know what you have in store. What are kind of your next goals? I know you're living day by day and in the present, which is the most important thing, but I wonder as a caregiver, what are some of your your next like dreams that you hope to hit or goals that you hope to accomplish for your son or for you? I'm hoping to have a more space for caregivers and people like my son outside here in the region. I, I'm being here very transparent and honest. It's unfortunate. And I say it's unfortunate because it breaks my heart that there's no resources on we have to fight literally for everything, but even more because until now, my kid is three years, there's no nurseries that I can get him to. The moment I tell any nanny, my kid has special needs, they probably scare away and they no longer want to visit us. There's no schools in a lot of the countries and I just have to be stuck all the time with them, which is for me, it's fine. But at the end of the day, I admit that I do need the support. I learned to ask for help and I need it. But the fact is that help is not there. The resources are not there. The government is not investing in that because all the parents just give up on their children. They don't work hard enough on that. And that just breaks my heart to the fact that I'm being vocal um, about it in an attempt to at least inspire other parents to also speak out. I am hoping that 
by sharing my story at some point, I would have access to someone who can help me change that narrative to other people with disabilities and their parents. We always hear about inspiring stories of people with disabilities, but we never hear stories of the caregivers who took care of them at some point. And I want to have that voice for them as well. So I think these are two things I'm hoping by being here today is in an attempt to someone listening out there said like, wow, finally someone in the Middle East sharing their story or yeah, that's me. Cause I, I couldn't find one. I couldn't find one. I am still struggling to find one. There's no one sharing their stories here in the region. And I just struggle. Um, I feel that it's something to be proud of, not to be ashamed of. And it's sad to feel that the society is making us feel like that. So I'm hoping to create that platform for other parents, not just moms. And I'm hoping to, when we have a community that we reach to officials that help us voice that out and put it in practice, not, you know, not just having the policies or just reading about us in the news when someone does something awesome, you know, without having the resources to make them awesome. Hopefully other parents in the future wouldn't have to struggle and face challenges like me. I mean, I'm lucky to be able to afford equipment from outside. Many, many others don't. Many others don't. They can't afford push chairs. They can't afford getting something from outside. And that's unfair because the government is responsible to at least make that available in the country for them to just survive. And that's a human right. That's not even something extra. Um, that's a human right to be able to move, human right to be able to survive. But that's not there yet. Well, I think if anyone's qualified to literally change the world over there, it's you. And your law background should help. <laughs> I'm hoping, right? By that, I think the lawyer inside me speaks now. (laughs) Yes, yes. This sounds amazing. And I know that this story will reach at least one person that it needs to. I know that that will happen. And I look forward to following along and being as helpful as I possibly can to you. And I know someone listening already today has like brushed themselves off a little bit and they're going to get back to it because when people share all of their different perspectives and have so much conviction and power behind it and heart, I think that it gives everyone a little pep in their step that they need. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I look forward to continue to hang out with you and get to know you. You're awesome. So thanks for being my guest today. Likewise. Thanks, Effie, so much for having me today. Um, And I hope if I inspire someone today, I think my job here is done. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.